0: Your weekly music and entertainment fix
1: Backstage with Sinead Nivorda
0: With all the best music, interviews and live sessions
1: On Radio Nova
0: the Black Crows formed in the 1980s and at the young age of 17 Rich Robinson began writing music for the songs that would land on the band's 1990 debut album, Shake Your Money Maker which sold 7 million copies. So over the next 10 years Rich's songwriting evolved into the musical engine powered, which powered the band to sales of more than 25 million albums. Uh, they took a hiatus several times and at the start of this year Rich Robinson announced that that was it for the band. So you'll be hearing him talk about that. I've got Rich Robinson now joined on line. Rich Delight to have you on the show today. Now, just to talk about obviously the fact that you performed as guitarist with the Black Crows for so long. I mean, now you're on your third solo record, the Cecil Slight released last year. So have you now settled into the role uh, as being center stage compared to your role before with Black Crows? It's,
2: you know, I just see it as I'm playing music and singing now. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't categorize myself. And so I mean, you know, to me, it's just kind of like I moved a little bit closer to the center. That's all I, that's how I see it. I don't see it as a, as like too big of a shift. Um, yeah. but it is like doing this to me, this, you know, acoustic run really breaks it down to where, you know, if something fucks up, it's not, I can't look at the bass player, you know, what I mean? it's just me up there. You know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all down just, to like, you to get it right. <laughs> yeah. But in a sense, it's cool. It's like, that's what it is. It's, you know, that's I'm up there doing it. And, you know, breaking these songs down to their their purest form, in my mm. opinion. I mean, most of them I wrote this way, yeah. uh, acoustically. And even some of the bigger, heavier songs, you know, I've always written on the acoustic guitar. So it's really cool to, you know, be able to get out and do that.
0: Nice. So it's a nice, real kind of, I don't know, more heartfelt kind of offering in a way, so bringing it back down to that raw sense
2: yeah, well, I mean, you know, it to me it gives people an opportunity to connect with the song on a different level mm. because you know, and then have a deeper relationship with the song because people have relationships with their favorite songs, their and their favorite music. You know, they grow up, they hear these songs. That song attaches to moments in their lives, good or bad, or joyous, or you know, helps them get through or whatever it may be, and they they create this really sort of deep relationship they can create this deep relationship with these songs and to me to hear these songs in different contexts and hear things that maybe they didn't hear when there's a full band or maybe you know hearing it from a different more like vulnerable standpoint or this standpoint might help them to deepen the kind of relationship they have with it
0: well, it's really nice that you have that awareness of the songs and how it can relate to the listener, and it's true, people do form those kind of close relationships and connections and, you know, either help people through times or connect to a certain time, so it's nice that you're, you're very much aware of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and speaking of relationships, I mean, obviously, with all your guitars, you would have developed strong relationships and connections to, to each one and each one giving a certain kind of sound to what you want to create, but I'm so sorry to hear of you losing your prized guitar collection. It was Hurricane well, Sandy, was it? Yeah, I mean, you know,
2: it it was it was a bummer, but sometimes you know things need to go anyway. So yeah. <laughs> it's just like you know, I mean, sometimes when you're you're carrying all this shit, you know, you're just carrying these things, and things attract energy, and things attract memories, and mm-hmm. you know, and and um, when you when that stuff gets kind of taken away or cleansed you can look at it like it's cleansed you know that that flood or that water kind of took it away and then you realize okay well you know i got to restore the couple ones that really meant a lot to me and and really it's all just wood and it's just yeah. wood with some strings on them and i can play other wood with string yeah and i love guitars and i love the sound of different ones and those guitar and 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 getting a bunch of new stuff really helps you move forward and let go of a lot of that stuff and and oddly enough making ceaseless sight was that's a lot of that is about letting go yeah. and moving forward
0: well, it, seemed to be, it seemed to be part of this whole thing where, you know, things can happen in threes, you know, saying goodbye and letting go of goes things. The next year you had the solo record, your third one, and then the following year, which is this year, you described the sad news that the Black Crows have actually officially broken up for the last time. So do you think that was all part yeah. of the whole thing?
2: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So what was your defining, I guess, moment that led you to decide to disband after, what was it, 25th anniversary, I think, this year, the Black Crows? So why did yeah, you decide that? Wow. Congratulations. I mean, that, that's a hell of a long time to keep a band going. So
1: yeah, what led
0: did. you to finally, you know, just kind of, I don't know, unplugging from it all?
2: Well, we've been dealing with some of the stuff that I talked about in that press release for years and just kind of reached a point where we were just kind of sick. Everyone was sick of dealing with it, you know. So, you know, it's just like this isn't really getting any better you know, this, Chris doesn't want to be in this band. He, you know, this is what it is. And, you know, why are we pretending anymore? You know, and let's just call it. And that's, that was really just the decision I made. I'm just, you know, so I mean, it became unhealthy. Wasn't that fun being around? There's a lot of negativity and, uh, everyone, you know, and then, You know, Chris's demands kind of reached that point where we were like, oh, we're just done. We're not doing this anymore. Or at least I'm done. I'm not doing it. So then, you know, if Chris and I aren't doing it, then it's really not happening. So that's just, you know, just kind of the way it was. So that's it.
1: Kendall calls the mama, I'm sure all the hand and n- I just ran. Kendall calls her Mama, I'm sure All the hand and hand Just around She candle calls mama I'm sure all the hand in you cannot call us mama I'm, I'm sure all the hanan is around
0: Heart to Handle from the Black Crows. You're backstage with me, Shinene Vorda and Rich Robinson, guitar player who helped formed that song and that amazing album and the 24 million copies uh, that resulted in the sales of those albums. I've got Rich joining me on the line from Spain as he's on tour at the moment in Europe. Now, Rich, you're so young. Like, you wrote uh, She Talks to Angels when you were 15, uh, started writing the rest of the material when you are 17 and then 19 when Shake Your Money Maker came out. I mean, What were you influenced by at this young age?
2: I was way into uh, Nick Drake, really. And, I mean, uh, like, as far as guitar playing goes, Nick Drake was one of my favorites. And listening to him, and I remember my friend gave me his, there was an album that that came out of a compilation of his last songs he recorded called Time of No Reply. That's what we got in the States. And it was just, it was like one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And just the way that he played his guitar, the picking, and you know in and, and his tunings and all these different things and the timings the way that the flow of his songs always meant a lot to me but you know then also growing up in Georgia not associating with a southern rock we were never we never considered ourselves a southern rock band and we never were drawn to that our earliest memories were like listening to R E M you know so there was a lot of you know the, the Dream Syndicate and the, uh, you know, the, from the Dreams, then English Speed and then all these bands. And that's more where we came from. And, so, but then growing up firmly with Crosby, Stills and Nash yeah. and Young and Sly and the Family Stone and Joe Cocker from my dad, like some of those were our earliest memories. So we had a really pretty strong patchwork of music and, uh, culture that we drew from, from my father, you know. Mm. Um, and oddly enough, in the in nineteen in the eighties, and I can't remember how long ago it was, my dad took my brother and I was a little too young to see Paul Brady at a church in in Georgia, like in Cobb County. Wow! Uh, and it was Paul Brady and Andy Irving, and he bought that their record and brought it home, and that was something that was really pretty amazing to all of us too.
0: Oh wow! That's a great, great thing to hear, Andy. And he's still going as well. Actually, both of them are still going strong as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And jazz and then all these things and all of that just kind of congealed by the time we made our first record. And I was 19 when we made Shaky Money. Wow.
0: You were so young. I mean, that was a huge difference from going from school and, you know, from Cobb County to having that album that sold like 7 million copies and going five times platinum in the States. I mean, how did you you know, cope with that whole transition of becoming so, so famous so soon?
2: Uh, you know I, don't know, I don't necessarily think that we coped well or better or worse than anyone that would. I mean, you know, coming from where we came from, you know, we always had a different view of the world anyway than, than most people, I suppose. You know, my dad had been a musician and acted off Broadway in New York, and there was, you know, so he had this different way of about him that's a whole thing. I mean, you know, we started out in March of 1990, and by December 1990, we sold three million albums. I mean, in, one, in, in less than a year. Wow. I mean, that was a pretty, you know, uh, steep climb. You know, and but we just, when you're in it, you just put your head down and deal. You know, you can't yeah. like fall apart.
0: Yeah. And,
2: I mean, it, I mean and, and it's also there's so many positives about it. You know, this thing that you created is resonating across the world, yeah. and no, we—not n- anyone in, in our band or people around us—had a clue it would be that big.
0: So, listen, you um, the third solo record. The Cecil side was released last year. You're here in the Workmans on Dublin on Monday, so no doubt there's gonna be a lot of excited punters there. So, what's next then for Rich Robinson?
2: Uh, well, I finished. I do a whole European run. I finish like October 22nd or 23rd, and um, then I go home and. Uh, you know, we are having a baby, so oh,
0: congratulations!
2: Yeah, so we'll be ex- we're expecting in December, so we're gonna go get settled and figure it out.
0: Oh well, I wish you the very, very best.
2: Oh well, thank you so much.
0: Oh, not at all. Have a great time in Dublin and enjoy everything, Rich Robinson. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Excellent, thank you.
0: Oh, what a lovely gem! Thanks so much, Rich. Rich Robinson, the Black Crows, he plays an amazing intimate solo gig at the Workmans on Monday, the twenty eighth of September. Get along to that.